This is Strange Assembly episode 199, Mechs vs. Minions. Well, Matt, this is what I've done today. First, I went through the day with a lot of back pain, and then I carried heavy things down flights of stairs to help donate them. And then I have a really sore throat all day, and now I'm doing a podcast recording. So, You know, I think that's a perfect way to spend that entire day. Tell me you've had better judgment today than I have. <laughs> yeah, I think I've had better judgment. Just, you know, driving into work, doing the, the usual, and trying to get free breakfast out of it when I go in. So, you know, good things. <laughs> they don't usually give me free breakfast just for going into work. That must be nice. I had one of the coupons for one of the restaurants where my office is. Ah. It wasn't my office that gave it to me. It was the restaurants that I go to every day. (laughs) There you go. That is Matt Sandlin. I'm uh, Chris Stevenson, and this is our podcast about being old dudes, where we talk about back pain and coupons and uh, our physical ailments. So, and I'd say we have alienated half of half of the listeners, and the other half of the listeners are cheering. <laughs> they have the same thing. Sponsored by AARP. <laughs> <laughs> Not there yet. Yes. Okay. Really, this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at strangeassembly.com. Uh, you can download the podcast there or subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store. I don't have an Android, right? It's the Google Play Store. It's sad. I should really know that. Yes. I mean, I've I've set up the podcast to be available there, but now I've already forgotten what it was called. But you can leave us reviews at any of these places or ratings. That helps people find the show, so we always uh, appreciate it. So we, we are going to talk about uh, three board games today. You probably could guess that one of them is Max versus Minions, although I guess that could have been a total head fake. Like, it's this big new popular game. What are they going to say? Oh, they didn't even talk about it. Nothing. 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 We're such teases, no? That's right. That's that's the next episode. <laughs> yes. Come back I, next week. <laughs> I'm guessing there's, because it's too late, I'm guessing it's going to be nothing, but I still have not decided what, if anything, to do for episode 200. Yeah, I don't. it seems like I should have something, but you know. But the first game that I wanted to talk about today is Centauri Saga. Now you might remember this from our Gen Con coverage, where I, I talked to the designer, Konstantin Kavork. And it was something. The, the conversation was something along the lines of, "Okay, wait a minute. You just claimed that this was a a cooperative 4x game. I have never heard of such a thing. What are you talking about? Wouldn't that be just 3x or 2x? Well, that that is a good question. It's not really a 4x <laughs> game, but very few, very few, if any, board games that advertise as 4x games are actually 4x games. So, I mean, like literally, what the Fantasy Flight Civilization? Uh, and that and what Space uh, Space Empires 4x that actually says it in its name. Yes, yes. But I mean, and there's a reason for that because 
usually the sort of gaming that we do does not usually involve much in the way of player elimination, which is one of the X's. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> 4X. <laughs> so, Centauri Saga, it is cooperative game. It is, is space. Like we said, it's not quite 4X. I'll get to that uh, in a moment. Each player in Centauri Saga controls an armada with a commander. And the exact parameters of how the game works vary depending on which scenario you're doing. But in general, you are going to be fighting off bad guys. And you are going to be upgrading the technology on your fleet, what kind of power-ups and units you have deployed with your fleet to make it better. And your objective might just be blowing things up. Your objective might be to escort a ship. Your objective might be to find lost star bases. Your objective might be to repair a jump gate. As your your ship moves around the board, you've got an attack value, you've got a defense value, maybe it's called shields, you've got uh, a speed value, you've got a hull. Sometimes you're called upon to test these, which is going to be to roll dice to see how many successes you get right. The higher your stat is, the more dice you get to roll. And on each turn, you first each player is going to get to move up to their speed if they want. And then they're you get to do do one thing basically on the turn. If you are in the same space as an enemy, you can choose to fight them. If you have just moved into an unexplored space, which most of the scenarios have, most of the scenarios you start with a couple of hexes on the board and then you have to explore out and add more hexes. So if you've moved onto an unexplored hex, then you flip it over and you have an encounter out of the, out of, where there's a deck of cards. You know, the card flips up. You can choose an easy one or a hard one. You should almost certainly choose the easy one. I'm just saying. Just saying. And then if you choose not to fight if there is an enemy, or if you're not on an unexplored tile, because if you're on an unexplored tile, you have no choice but to explore, then you can regroup, which lets you draw an extra action card or or heal your ship a little bit or or a couple of other things. And the way that the upgrading works through this is that every time you defeat an enemy or every time that you successfully explore something you get a, a stardium or what it's it's crystals physically it's crystals you know cr- crystal tokens it's it's the currency of the game as it were and you yeah, use but... these yeah yeah and you use these to upgrade your ship your ship has a, a you have a starport value and a research lab value and you can upgrade one or both of these over the course of the game and one will let you add power-ups to your armada. One will let you add units to your armada, so your armada can now have better armor, or your armada can carry X troopers. You get to choose which one you get. There's weaker and stronger ones for each kind, and the early upgrades, you can only choose the weaker ones, and then later you can choose the stronger ones, but they're mostly replacing the weaker ones uh, instead of, you know, because you only have so many 
slots. As you're doing that, you're also upgrading your command center. And all of these give you some miscellaneous bonuses there. But the main thing that your command center does that's different is gives you more activation tokens. Each commander has a special ability. So everybody has this, this player power and they have slightly different starting stats. But you have a special ability and many of your units have special abilities or power-ups. And you have to put an activation token on them to activate them. That lets you know that you've activated that one, but also you only have so many activation tokens. And so it, it you know you can't use every single one of your things every single turn. And while you're you're doing this, the the board is otherwise expanding at the right at the beginning of every turn. There's the possibility that more raiders will spawn bad guys for you to fight. At the beginning of every turn, you know, usually one of these XPM tokens will spawn, and those can have various functions depending on uh, on which scenario you're doing. But if it can't spawn, because you flip up a card that's got certain kinds of sectors, if it can't spawn because none of those sectors exist, then instead of getting the XPM, the game board will automatically open up, which it, it, it kind of has to do because the raiders also spawn based on the type. So if you never explored, then raiders would just kind of never spawn. It would give you the... You probably don't want to just sit there and do nothing because you've got a... You're usually usually you're on a timer, but so like like I said, it's not quite a four X, but you are fighting an enemy. You're not exterminating each other, but there is real combat in it. You're really blowing up enemy ships. You can get blown up, although it's one of those blow getting blown up where you basically respawn back at the jump gate. So there's no player elimination. You do explore in most of the scenarios. In most of the scenarios, you start with a limited number of hexes, and you have to expand out from there. You do have technology trees, although I'm not sure what X technology trees are actually supposed to be. I, I probably knew at some point, but right, there's no X in technology tree, and yet that's a core element of a 4X game. I guess you could say that's the the expand. I always thought expand was when you were setting up new colonies or cities or whatever and then exploit it but then exploit is kind of the same thing right because you either maybe or i I don't know but there's no new colonies in this i mean you can build star bases i don't know if that really counts you earn you earn exploration tokens by succeeding at exploration you earn uh combat tokens for succeeding at combat and then if you get enough of those you can throw up a, a star base which is quite handy there are these boss ships that come out in most of the missions, and each of those has a unique model. So all of the ships have models. I mean, they're not like super ridiculous cool mini or not sort of models, but the game doesn't cost that much, and it comes with dozens and dozens of ships. So there's three different like levels of raider each has its own distinctive sculpt that looks nice that looks really nice each of the bosses is its own distinctive ship all the four player ships are all identical except for the color but you know who cares you know not everybody can have distinct units for everything so that's the- and this is an actual kickstarter game by a company that needed i suspect to actually do a kickstarter right this isn't Queen Games or Cool Mini or not or whatever doing, uh, you know, a glorified pre-order right. on, on Kickstarter. So, and yeah, because this is 
published by uh, Vesuvius Media, so they have, I think, literally three games now, and two of them were Kickstarters. So, it played well. We did seem to have a good balance of feeling like you were going to, uh, like there's no possible way you could accomplish this, and then realizing, you know, and then getting that realization of, oh, actually, I can just go and, I can go blow this boss up now. I'm good enough to do that. The reason I say be careful about the the events, the at the very beginning of the game, the exploration is very swingy. Because if you succeed at the exploration, you get to Astardium, which is enough to do an upgrade to your fleet, or your armada. And then you get an exploration token, which you, later you're going to use to help build a star base. And you get an action card, some of which can be quite nice. They're just like free extra things that, that you can do. So if you succeed, you get all that. If you don't succeed, you take two damage. Not bad, but not the end of the universe. And you flip up an event. Well, the events are all bad. And they're all constant. Uh, and you have to discard combat tokens to get rid of the events. So there's just a, a very big swing from succeeding at the exploration to failing at the exploration. And what you get for succeeding at a hard exploration is like one more Astartium. And they're way harder. So... Yeah, I don't even know in late game that would be worth it, right? Cause probably you not. spent all that time to upgrade yourself. And you're like, oh, I can handle the hard ones now. Oh, I just got one more Astartium. Yeah, and I don't know how much exploration you're... I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't played enough to know how often exploration comes up later in the game. But, yeah, even then, when you've got things like Wait, so the easy one is I need one success rolling this attribute, or I need four successes rolling that attribute. Eh, getting four successes when I'm rolling seven dice, that's not really great odds. I mean, they're not bad odds if I there was no penalty for failing, but I'd much rather take my, at that point, essentially guaranteed success, low reward. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there was a strategy tip in the rulebook to be careful about discarding too many of the events because there's a cost to it and you might need those weapons tokens later to build star bases and such and I think we ultimately decided that the the correct thing to do was for the most part was just discard the events as soon as humanly possible because they're just like one of the events would be like you cannot upgrade your starport or your research lab which is like as long as this event is out you really can't win the game because you're never going to be able to defeat anything you can't progress. <laughs> yeah, like that's just not fun. Most of the other times when events come out, it'll be like if you let the raiders get out of hand, if they get together on the spots, then the the weaker ones will go away and you'll end up with one stronger one, but an event will come out. If a boss ends up on the same space as the normal raiders, it wipes out all the raiders, but then an event comes out, so you... There's something that... because you don't get forced into combat directly. You can choose not to fight if you're in the spot with a raider or a boss, so the game doesn't force you to just get trashed with fights you can't win. But it, it there is that mechanic that forces you to actually constantly go around stamping out the raiders, which is pretty standard for a co-op game, right? There has to be a consequence if you let the stuff get out of hand, the bad stuff get out of hand. Uh, or else, why would you not just let it get out of hand? 
I, I thought that when even if it's not a you know quote unquote four X game, it still played well. We enjoyed that. Uh, that was Centauri Saga from Vesuvius Meter from Vesuvius Media, designed by Konstantin Kavork, and it was uh, just released uh, earlier this year after a Kickstarter. Now let's see. So you you've got Mechs versus Minions coming up, and this was this was like in a love letter size box, right? Right. It was it was tiny. It was tiny, and you know you could hide it in your purse, backpack, po- back pocket, easy. No, honestly, it almost takes two people to carry this for real, though. That's it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is not the it's not the biggest game box. I mean, I've got because like if you've got the old coffin box things so like i'm I'm looking here i've got my yes i still own my old uh, uh milton bradley game so like it's not as big as my old fortress america or axis and allies it's not as big as uh this coffin box horus heresy i've got sitting here but it's it's pretty big it's about the biggest box i've seen of recent game in i guess other than the other than ogre yeah i think so the giant ogre which yeah. is <laughs> yes. It, yeah. So mechs versus minions, riots, ga- riot games. Now they can properly be called riot games since they now have a second game. Is their first attempt into the board game industry? I think a lot of people have already kind of heard about that, but the idea behind this is you are piloting a mech and you will program its movements to complete the scenario that you're on and usually most of the scenarios have something to do with defeating a number of minions or smashing a crystal or bringing it back something to that nature and then while there are the programming aspect there's there's also a drafting that happens for the the cards that need to be programmed and let's see there are Three types of cards. There's a movement card, an attack card, and a rotate card. Yeah, and so you should. This is this is a co-op, which makes a big yes. difference. It is completely co-op, which is in. I don't know how you would do this competitively, you know. And it just playing, having played through what we did, some of the wrenches that get thrown at you. If you're next to a minion at the minion phase, you'll take damage. And that damage goes into your program line or can shift around your program line. And some of those damages are, I'm going to spin you around or I'm going to make you move another direction that you don't want to go. So there's a bit of, uh, of wrenching that you have to deal with. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that this is... I don't know, just to combine too many things. Kind of like a a combination of mm, Robo Rally, uh, Twin Tin Bots, and I don't know, some sort of slaughterhouse. <laughs> uh well right, right, so goes so it's, it's right. A, right, what it's a programmed movement game and it's very chaotic. And so I, I say it's like Robo Rally in that it's very chaotic. Not not there's some random, but not really in your programming. <laughs> But the big thing is chaotic. Like, how are you going to re- how to how does everything I- interact? Even though you theoretically could kind of sit down and 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 plot it all out, which I 
do like how they included, and again, there's a nice timer that they included, and I think that keeps the, the chaos. It forces you not to sit down and go, okay, let me, you need to take A card, you need to take the B card, and somebody over there needs to take C card, and put them at position one, four, and six in your lines. Yeah, you well, know, this is because y- y- you mentioned a draft, and that's how the, the drafting is. That at the start of the game, you have nothing on your programming line. This is a game where, unlike Robo Rally, but like Twin Tin Bots, which was why I could the one, you have a fixed programming line from turn to turn. So if, if you have a, a set of three commands programmed, if nothing happens, your Mac will perform those three commands every single turn. And then you have a, a little draft right at the start of the game, and then a new draft every turn to get a new card to add to your command line. You might also be able to discard it to heal damage or discard it to swap your command line around. So you can do a solid bit of planning where like I know where I am and I know what my program is right now and I know what kind of card I'm looking for so that I can kill this horde of minions over here or or maybe escape from over there or or get the the boss the boss mech. Go to the area that you we we need as a team to focus on, right? Yeah. But there's a sand timer for the draft, so and it's a short sand timer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's uh, not that we have a problem with long decision making. No, no, yeah. but but that is still that is still all chaotic. I mean, it's it's random. It's not random. It's got random in that it's random which four cards will come out. But that's the standard sort of randomness, even in right. uh, you know highly rigid Euro games. Where the the randomness does come in is that the damage is commands. You will draw a damage card and it might be a one-shot and just switch to, you know, it's a glitch that switches a couple of your command lines around, or it might be a straight-up command itself. So it says, you know, rotate, like, rotate a random direction, or rotate 90 degrees left, or move ahead, or it's, unfortunately, I, I didn't see any of the damage things that were shoot all the minions near you. You know, I I was looking for that one, too. I didn't see it. Yeah, and so <laughs> it'll happen right then, and then you randomly determine one of your slots that it goes into. So now this command that you probably don't want there is in one of the slots in your command line, possibly covering up the useful command that you had underneath it. Or even the more integral command that you need for the next move. Yeah, in which case, eh, you're, well, I mean, you, you almost always have the ability to, if you really, really need to, draft a card that instead of installing your command, like, you, you can discard you it to get, get rid, rid of, of that card if you absolutely have to have that one thing. Yes. Uh, but that's there. I mean, what else is there? There's some, there is function to piling commands on top of each other instead of Spracing always them spreading them out. You can put up to three of the same general category of command into one slot, and each command has three different versions, you know, successively stronger. And so when I put a command down, if it's just all by itself, it's the basic version. But if there's two commands under it, then it's the most powerful version. And 
Sometimes it makes sense to spread them out. Sometimes it makes sense to pile them up. Certainly when you're assigning damage, it makes it more high risk, high reward if they're all piled up. You can get schematic, which are little abilities that your character has that as you slaughter minions, and you slaughter minions in this, right? They just spawn by the dozens. By the dozens, yes. They, they... Yeah, they spawn by the dozens, you kill them by the dozens, and as you kill them, you're, you power up, and you get to start using your schematics, which might be discard the schematic for a one-shot effect, or it might be some sort of static thing, like every time you tow another mech, they get healed, or every time somebody uses a flamethrower, it shoots backwards and forwards. Or reverse your line. You know, don't, don't, you don't have to go forwards. You can go backwards. Yeah. And there is a, there is a campaign element to this. Now, it's not a legacy game in period. It is not a legacy game. But there is a camp, campaign. There's, yeah, there's a campaign. I think the reason why some people have kind of taken it as some sort of legacy thing is because each mission is comes in a sealed envelope, but you could just put everything back into the envelope. Nothing changes, nothing alters. It's just different scenarios. As you open more of the envelopes, it I mean it adds more cards into the damage deck, or more schematic options, or or more rules options. Sometimes it goes back to the traditional campaign aspect, where it builds upon the game as it is. So you you really are learning as you go and building up and building up. Yeah. And bigger. So here's the thing. We have not really even mentioned what I think was the reason why this game was getting just massive amounts of hype, which is essentially the price point compared to components. So like you mentioned, this this was released by Riot Games. The other game that they make that you refer to is League of Legends, which is the most popular video game ever. Certainly the most popular video game right now. I think that's been true for quite some time now. So this is not a game, I don't think, you cannot buy this in a store. No, you have to buy it from Riot. Yeah. Or or a second-hand seller who's put it on eBay or something like that. But yes... They did a direct distribution model, which is really different than especially most first-time, quote-unquote, board game publishers. Well, well, yes, that's because they have giant piles Piles of of money money. they can Scrooge McDuck around in. And and that's the other thing. Like, probably most companies, most board game companies, if they could afford to be an exclusively direct sales model you actually might be able to get deals like this because, right, when a board game publisher sells its game to a distributor, what do they get? Maybe 40% of the retail price is what the publisher actually gets. I believe that's right, yes. Yeah, whereas if you're buying it from Riot Games, this publisher is getting 100% of the money that you're spending. But still, you you know, you get more of a game. So this is, it's 75 bucks. it's $8 shipping. I love that they're actually leveraging the real shipping. I have to admit, one of the things that's a little bit frustrating is, like, if you buy a game from a publisher directly, you have to pay the full retail price. Understandably, like, they can't undercut game stores. But the shipping is always so terrible. Like, I, what, how did it cost me $25 to ship that to me? I don't, what? I, I can go ship this at the UPS store for nine bucks. 
and I'm not a business. I I know if you have a business account, you get better rates. Anyhow. Exactly. Yes. So, like you mentioned, it is in a huge box, and this the, this game is the opposite of air. Like you write, you have some games where like you open the game and there's two packs of cards and all this empty space. Every cubic inch of this box is crammed full. The miniatures for the mechs are hand-painted. The minions, right? We talked about dozens of minions. There are over a hundred minions, right? And they're all, like, sculpted figures? Yes, they are all... And they're actually all have, like, a a wash. Not a, you know, not fully hand-painted or anything, but they've had a wash applied to them so that the details of the minions actually pop. So, yeah. It's actually almost a, a puzzle to get everything back into the box. That's how full to the brim this is. Yeah, and there's the big, giant boss mech thing. It's in a box, and it's got this thing about, like, you don't actually open it until you get to the third mission. Whatever. I mean... <laughs> you know it's a you, knew, you know it's a giant mech in there. Well, yes, because there's there's, like, a cutaway where the axe of the mech is coming out like it's trying to cut its way out of the box. Yes. Yeah, and it's huge. If you, I tried to think if, if let's say Fantasy Flight, right? They they do big hundred dollar games with a relative lot of figures. If this was released by Fantasy Flight through a normal distribution model, like what is this? One hundred fifty bucks? I would say minimum one hundred fifty, probably closer to two, would be my guess. Just with the sh- the sheer number of Minions again. I, I think there's a hundred, and there are four four types of them. And that really seemed to be what got the hype thing going was this sort of price distribution model, which uh, you know, again certainly appealing. As I have said, I'm I'm always a man who's interested in a deal. I'm probably a little too interested in a deal. I probably need to learn that at some point, given the amount of time that I have that buying a game just because it's 10 bucks instead of 60 okay it's only 10 bucks but if it's going to sit on your shelf for 3 years till you get it to the table and you're going to be like oh that's why it cost 10 dollars it might not have been a good choice yeah yeah okay so what did you ultimately think about this like it's it's giant it's absolutely gorgeous. It's got fantastic components. It's at a really attractive price point for what's in the box. Is the game actually good? I had a blast with it. The whole uh, chaos aspect of it just, it made me smile while we were going through it. Again, it is a a mess of destroying minions, and that's always people like to come in, sometimes gun blazings. Well, you're shooting everything as quickly as you can. The programming aspect, the kind of the, the puzzle part of, well, how often do I need to turn myself around while I'm moving through to shoot the right things? And then the damage as you interact with that. And again, so I, I really had a blast with the, with the chaos of it. Well, I guess I'm just going to play the type and say, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice, yeah. <laughs> I, well, right. I mean, if I think if we just, in general, 
if we took your enthusiasm level about any random game and then my enthusiasm level about the same game, probably you're about two notches higher. At least. Right? I, I, yeah. yeah, that's, that's just... <laughs> I, well, yes. <laughs> a game has to truly... If I say a game was no fun or I had a bad time, run for the hills. <laughs> like you should just just set it on fire wherever you see it. Don't even pick it up. That's <laughs> that's how bad it is. Yeah, and so and because yeah, Maximus Man was not bad. It was nice. I I wasn't blown away. It is chaotic. It did the chaos well. It for the most part, the random was like it was entertaining. The random was entertaining. Even you were randomly spinning out of control. It, it was entertaining. You were laughing about it or laughing at someone else's misfortune. Yeah, it. well, I may have... I He wasn't. I suspect that if I had been, like, in Leo's position on one of those mi- missions where, like, four out of my six slots were filled in by damage and I was kind of just spinning around in a circle for a couple of turns, I suspect I would have gotten frustrated, but he seemed okay with it. Another aspect, I guess, per the, the campaign aspect that I enjoyed is that Sometimes with campaign games, you see a rulebook, and they give you everything. But in in the early part of the campaign, you never use those things. So I did kind of like how the the campaign took you kind of step by step, and it added in, and it progressively got more complex. Now, were there some clarifications or, you know, uh, consistency terminology that could have could have used yeah but again i like that because it kind of took you through it instead of just saying fire hose and here's all the rules we ended up just going okay whatever although we but we could not figure out exactly how some of the rules interacted with the the boss mech like so does this count as a mech for this does it not i mean it's called a mech it does i don't know how how does it work with this thing like the mech like this this boss mech is gigantic. It fits in multiple spaces on the board. Which, what of Which the aspects? One are you in? Like, yo, how does it apply? Uh, like, what kind of terrain is the boss in? Uh, who knows? Well, you know, anyhow, you know, but we, we came up with it. For me, I think the level of enjoyment I had with this example of by there is a, there's sort of a, like, a, there's a heart, there's not, there's sort of a, there's a, a hard mode and an easy mode yes. in each of the missions. And, we ended up beating each of the missions on hard mode. Or I guess I should be more clear. We ended up beating each of the missions we played. We did not play through the whole campaign already. Right. <laughs> but but I certainly was a physician, and I think people mostly agreed that, like, if we didn't manage to beat it on hard mode, we were just going to go ahead and go for the win on easy mode because right. it was fun but not fun enough that I would want to play the same mission twice in a row. Right. I want to move on to the next scenario to see what new batch of wackiness is. If you made me play the same scenario over and over again to beat it, that's not going to work for me. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. I think it would have it would have lost a lot of the, the fun, uh, the chaos and zaniness. You know, when you watch... Warner Brothers cartoons, right? You you watch Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny do something crazy, duck season, rabbit season, 
you don't want to see just them doing duck season, rabbit season for three hours, right? You want to see them actually be chased by Elmer, right? You know, that, that it's that kind of aspect of it. I, I would put that too. So, and every time we saw the the hard, we're like, oh, there's no way we can do that. That's just ridiculous. But that's okay because I think we can accomplish the easy. And then we we happen to be able to to pull out the the hard mode each time. Yes, yes. I I chalk it up not to not to effective co op game design, but to the fact that we're just awesome. I do agree. We yeah. are awesome. Booyah. <laughs> There you go. Um, another thing that that I guess some co-ops run into is that there are ways that people get kind of truly out, you know, since we're taking damage. But, you know, in, in this, you're never – you're always a part of the draft. Your mech will always do what it's programmed to do, whether it's been reprogrammed by only damage cards so you're always at least engaged in making part, making some of the decisions that are going on. And so I think that also uh, lends itself well to the whole co-op experience. Okay, that was uh, Mechs vs. Minions, brand new, from Riot Games, designed by Chris Cantrell, Rick Ernst, Stone Lebrande, Prashant Saraswat, and Nathan Turris. I apologize to anyone whose name I just butchered. So our third board game for the day. We've done two 2016s. I'm going to go uh, back in time a little bit. I thought about talking about Zangao today, but I, I would still kind of like to have a What's Your Game episode where we just talk about they, they have some really fantastic heavy Euros. I think we have like maybe one more to play, and then we'll be able to cover all of their games at, at once in, in one one big thing. Uh, although I may need to get Z on there because he's because on here because he's the one who's uh, really uh, fixated on them. I don't think I've done Zungo. I think I've done a couple of their others though. I'm I'm drawing a blank at the moment. There is Madeira. Okay, I did that one. The one that we haven't played yet, which seems like it's probably supposed to be the worst, is uh, or at least the least respected or whatever is Asgard. Okay. Uh, Nippon. Okay. Did that and one. I think Signore. Senor, yeah, Signore. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have yeah. another is Railroad Revolution. The one that is about to come out, or maybe it was an SNR. I, I, you know, don't have it yet, but I know it's it's in our future. Right. Thank you, Z. <laughs> yes, but like I said, I I want to uh, I want to save that for for its own. Sort of episode. So uh, we're going to go even further back to ghost stories. And I I don't, maybe it's just because I, I'm about to say bad things about ghost stories, by the way. And maybe, maybe I feel like I should explain this just because I spent an entire episode, although a very small one, saying bad things about Seafall. (laughs) So, so why, why go back and, and talk about this? When I'm thinking about what to talk about, on the podcast, what games to talk about. I mean, we can talk about anything, right? I mean, I can play a game that came out in 1996 that you've never heard of, that you'll never see, and I can say it sucks. And that may be entertaining, uh, if if that's the best thing that there is to, to talk about for some other reason, but that's not 
I don't think super useful. Right. right. If it's a game that you were never going to run across or bother to seek out, like telling you not to do that or that I don't think it's a good idea, that that's there's no value add there. You know, so for the most part, right, the more the more recent a game is, the more relevant the review is. The bigger the game is, to some extent, the more relevant the review can be. On the one hand, You've got lots of other sources of reviews for the game, the bigger it is. On the other hand, you know, I'd like to think that there's something useful in our perspective. And if something is big, that's something that you might be more, or, you know, that an audience, the listener might be more interested in just going out and getting. And so this could help them decide if that's actually uh, a good idea or not. If it's a positive review, I mean, it's still more useful if it's a more recent game. But if it's a positive review, a yes, you should go out and play this game, that can be kind of useful whenever the game came out. I mean, if the game is eight years old, and I think it's great, and maybe people haven't heard of it, well, they, and they can still go get it, well, then there's, there's actually some value to saying something positive about that. But here I am talking about, uh, about to say negative things over, uh, by the time I'm done with an older game. And, and the reason I still think that there is a, a value out here is that Ghost Stories is still a real name game and so even though it came out in 2008 it's still relevant I think right the game is like 151 on the BGG rank right now uh, it's somehow the f- number 48th thematic game even though it's not thematic at all which is one of my problems with it anyhow but I'm not going to spend forever on it In fact, I may have just spent longer explaining why I'm going to talk about it than I am going to talk about it. But hey, welcome to my world. I overthink everything. So I need to go play it right now, is what you're telling me. No, no. So we had (laughs) played Ghost Stories. Not we, Matt, but me and some other guys in the group. And this was actually, none of us had played it before. So when we sat down to do this, it was new to all of us. So Ghost Stories is a co-op. Each player is, I don't know, a ninja or something. Monks. And, you know, you have four different colors and you're, and, and you are in a square. And the central part of the board is a three by three set of square tiles. And then each player board is on one side of that square. And in traditional co-op fashion, you have threats constantly pop up like in this in this game every turn you flip up a, a demon and it goes on one of the four player boards and it might do some negative things and you have to defeat you have to you know beat enough demons because if you don't defeat the demons then they overrun the player boards and you lose uh, you know the players can die and you can lose there is effectively player elimination in this game even though it's co-op and on each player's turn you go to the one of the adjacent spaces to you, you're moving around the nine that are in the middle, and you can either use the action on that space, or you can try to defeat one of the the demons that is on the space around you, and eventually, the like, all the characters can die, or the demons can wipe out the spots in the middle. Uh, I mean, you can always move on them, but they, they're not available for their effect. If they take out enough of them, then you lose. So, I mean, maybe it was more innovative at the time that it came out again. This is 2008. Games have come a lot since 2008. And this is designed by Antoine Bauza, who has designed a lot of really good games. So, 
it probably compared better when it came out, but it does not feel thematic at all to me. It feels very mechanistic. It's punishing. It's got a very high difficulty level. I mean, we actually won when we played, but... Again, we're awesome. That's what. It, that's really what it comes down to. Yes, I mean, but but it's got a very high difficulty level, and it's not... It wasn't rewarding enough to be worth that, so it, it's kind of weird. So here's the, the thing with co-ops. What you... What you usually want to aim for, by think, by default, in a co-op, is a game where you constantly feel on the edge. Where you constantly feel like you might lose, like you're gonna lose, like, oh my gosh, how can we do it? But then, mm, you manage to pull it off. Right? I think that that is the sort of default that you are going for. You want the tension without the loss of hope. Or maybe you have a loss of hope, but then you uh, you know, win anyway, even though you lost hope. Because to me, just banging my head on the wall over and over again, you know, that's not us. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't make a good co-op game that is really hard. But it has to add something else. Like, Eldritch Horror. I have never beaten Eldritch Horror. Ever. I know there are people who have and do it on a not infrequent basis, but I have never beaten Eldritch Horror. But I enjoy Eldritch Horror because there's, especially once you add in whatever expansion has the focus tokens, because that solves one of the problems with the base game. There's so much flavor oozing out of that game. And the little story things. Man, I love little story things in games these days. You know, like when you go into the other worlds and you get to read the description and then all the stuff. They do a really great job with that. Like, so that that game works kind of despite being that. I know that like that's kind of a thing with the flavor of the Cthulhu stuff is like, oh, but you're supposed to lose all the time. That I don't really care about. Like, I don't, you know, if the flavor is I'm supposed to lose and I don't have fun because I'm losing, well, I, it doesn't matter. I'm still not having fun. But in those, in that game, I have fun despite the fact that I always lose. Ghost Stories, nah, I just, I, I cannot think of ever wanting to, to go back and play. There are just so many better co-op games. And again, I, I'm sure that if I was playing it in 2008, I had many, many fewer options for co-op games. It would have seemed stronger, and it would have, like, the fact that it had tight mechanics would have been better, but I'm not, so... It's not then, it's now. And... So that's my take on on Ghost Stories. There, again, there are, there are obviously many, many people who, who disagree with me. You're actually not one of them. Ha ha, because you've never played it. <laughs> but I, I, can't, I cannot officially disagree with you yet. <laughs> I know. You might be able to get it, whoever, unless uh, Z already uh, uh, flea marketed it at uh, Game Fest. I think if you guys had a bad experience with it, it's already gone. Yeah, he moves on from games quickly. <laughs> He's like the opposite of me. Anyhow, so... That was uh, two thumbs up, one thumb down over the course of the episode, I think. Positive on Centauri Saga. 
positive on on mechs versus minions, although varying degrees of intensity. And then for me, thumbs down on uh, on Ghost Orb. With one abstention. <laughs> you abstained on the one that I positively spoke about at the beginning of the episode too. I we understand when 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 you say that you've never played the game, you you don't have to keep pointing out that you don't have an opinion. Everybody knows that. It would be a problem if you did have opinion. It's more fun that way. <laughs> okay. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or any other, anywhere else. Where, wherever it is that you got this episode, you can find more of these. We always love it if you would leave us a rating or review, especially a really high a high rating or glowing review. Those are the best of all, don't you think? I Be do. like Matt. Be, Be like, like Matt. Like it. <laughs> yes. That helps other people who are using those services discover the show. You can find us at the usual social media spots. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If you would go like us on Facebook, maybe Facebook would shut up about how I'm really close to 500 likes because we're not really that close to 500 likes, but it keeps telling me. But if you guys could actually get us over, maybe it'll stop popping up at me on my iPod, please. Anyhow. It'll just set the next threshold. Well, you know, we'll see. But if you'd like to tell me to stop being a grumpy old man or provide any other comments or criticism on the show, you can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Matt Sandlin, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>